Welcome to the Chrisman Commentary Daily Mortgage News Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Chrisman. Topics on today's episode include annual foreign investment in U.S. homes, my interview with Polensky Vital Greens, Marty Green, on market participants finally wrapping their heads around the Fed's hawkishness, and the Fed's beige book sums things up. Thanks to today's podcast sponsor, Loan Care. Loan Care has successfully navigated clients and homeowners through market change for 40 years. The mortgage subservicer is known for delivering superior customer experience through personalization and convenience. Its award-winning portfolio management tool, Loan Care Analytics, supports MSR investors with a focus on customer engagement, liquidity, and credit risk. Loan Care is part of Fidelity National Financial, a Fortune 500 company, and leading provider of services to real estate and mortgage industries. Annual foreign investment in existing U.S. home sales declined 9.6% to $53.3 billion over the past year, and the number of existing homes bought by international buyers declined to 84.6,000, the fewest since 2009 and down 14.2% from the prior year. The average at $639,000 and median at $396,000 purchase prices for international buyers were the highest ever recorded by the National Association of Realtors. For those who like lists, China, Mexico, Canada, India, and Colombia were the top five countries of origin by number of U.S. existing homes purchased. The top 12 destinations for foreign buyers were Florida at 23%, California and Texas at 12% each, then at 4% each is North Carolina, Arizona, and Illinois. For today's interview, I want to welcome back to the show Polensky Vital Greens, Marty Green, to talk about market participants finally wrapping their heads around the Fed's hawkishness. He's a frequent contributor on here, so I'm going to say he needs no introduction today. <laughs> it seems like for the last 18 months or so since the Fed started its tightening campaign, markets have been thinking that the Fed's going to be more dovish than it actually has been, or they weren't taking the Fed's remarks seriously. Do you think markets have finally wrapped their heads or or its head around the Fed's hawkishness? I think they've gotten a cold dose of reality, I think would be how I would describe it. I think kind of the way I view the way the markets have interacted with the Fed is the markets are optimistic and the Fed is realistic. And the Fed knew that they had to get the mindset back in line that they were going to fight to the end and to the bitter end as it relates to inflation, where I think the markets kind of thought they would fight as long as they needed to, but kind of become more dovish more quickly. And I think the the timeline is what people have come to uh, believe the Fed on, I think, at this point. Yeah, when you say the bitter end, what sort of time what sort of timeline are we thinking here? You would think the Fed is well at the most one or or in a in a crazy world, two rate hikes away from being at the terminal Fed funds rate range. Well, then it'll hold it there probably for longer than markets are expecting. But uh, what is the bitter end? Is it inflation back to two percent? What's the timeline like on that? What are you What are you thinking? Well, I think when you say, when I say the bitter end, I mean how how long they're going to keep the rates there more than how high they're going to go. Because I tend to agree with you that they're pretty close to their terminal rate and may already be there actually. But I think the real thing in terms of the bitter end is how long are rates going to stay elevated from by the Fed to make sure that they've kind of won the inflation battle. 
And I think that's where uh, the length is it was sort of misread by the by the markets before. And I think the realism is now that they're going to keep them there well into uh, 2024 until they really see a need to probably reduce them or where they kind of see some harm to the economy or that they need to become a little bit more accommodative. But I think they're going to keep them pretty elevated till probably middle of next year at the soonest. And it may be longer than that. Uh, and I do think that, you know, it's some, they're going to gradually get back to 2% inflation. But I think even their prognostication shows that they don't think they're going to get there this year or next year and probably not into it'll be 2025 before they arrive back into the twos. So that market optimism kind of led to uh, bond yields dropping more than they should have. And, and it created these false start scenarios where the, the market got ahead of the Fed and there was too much dovishness that was priced into bonds, or at least more than it, it there should have been. What problems does it cause when bond markets have to reverse course like that? You know, it, it, what bond markets love is stability because, you know, that's the, uh, and so the more stable that market is, the better it performs, the easier it is to do the hedge and those kinds of things for a mortgage company. When you have the fitful starts that we've had, it just makes it really, really difficult to manage the hedge. It makes it really difficult to price your loans. It makes it really difficult to get a par price at all. Sometimes that's been one of the big challenges. And then with the regulatory sort of overlays that you have, not having a par price just creates creates some really big anomalies as it relates to higher price mortgages and some other things that just uh, add a great deal of complexity to how you manage that execution as a mortgage company. So what we've seen is just margins become just flat as a pancake in some instances. Uh, and so it's just been a real, real uh, significant challenge for mortgage companies to kind of eke out any kind of, of gain in this particular market because of the topsy-turvy nature of it. The Fed's focus was inflation. And then when inflation started to come down, the focus more recently has been on employment figures. Hey, just how robust is this labor market? How are these wage gains contributing to inflation? And I actually saw some commentary that the Fed's back to looking at its preferred inflation index, the PCE, and, and caring about that more than it does monthly employment figures, both of which were released last week. Where, where do you think the Fed is in terms of weighing inflation figures versus employment figures? What Where's more of its focus right now? Uh, what's the balancing act there? I, I think it's more on the inflation side than the employment side. What they've seen is great resilience on the employment side. So the concern that they were going to create massive unemployment by dealing with the inflation fight has certainly dissipated as the market's uh, employment market has performed pretty robustly. I think that they're going to be actually positively looking at the uh, the fact that there's more balance on the employment side. I think that has continued to improve fairly significantly. And, and I think that's going to continue in the months ahead. And I think they're seeing some wage gain without it necessarily having huge inflationary pressure uh, but that's some, that's one of their watch points is looking at that. But they're much more tuned uh, to the inflationary side of of their mandate than they are the employment side of this side of the cycle. This point in the cycle. So I saw a quote once that said, "Predictions are the preserve of the hubristic." And uh, <laughs> as as unflattering as that might be, I'm going to ask you to make one here. And and that is, do you think we will see the Fed? hiking rates again before the end of this year. What's your take on it? 
My take is they want the markets to think they will or that they might, but I think that they will not do so. I think that actually they're not going to see a compelling case to raise them and they're going to hold steady through the end of the year. That's my prediction. I like that a lot, actually. Yeah. And I think that that's, I think that's, you know, they kind of get the benefit to some extent of, of an increase by saying they're prepared to do it and ready to do it without necessarily having to. So there's some advantage to keeping that uh, sort of thought being out in the marketplace. So I want to end with, with another qualitative question here. And I actually got a smile on my face when I was writing this because people talk about uh, Vokler in the eighties or, Bernanke in the the early 2000s or Yellen more recently. What do you think Jerome Powell's legacy will be when we look back in a couple decades? You think it'll be favorable, negative? How do you think uh, he will come to be seen? You know, it's interesting. I think it's, we don't yet know, obviously, because there could be another chapter of this that we haven't heard. But if you looked at it just based on where we are today, I think he'll be, be viewed reasonably positively in terms of uh, helping navigate the pandemic and the just unbelievable uh, impacts on the economy as a result of the shutdown, and then navigating what at least at this point uh, appears to be a pretty soft landing for the economy in terms of the inflationary pressures. Of course, it's still early. It's like asking you know someone in their third year of playing professional baseball, whether I think they're going to make the Hall of Fame. It's uh, it's a longer career than that. So we'll have to wait and see how the rest of it plays out. But uh, so far, I think he's navigated things in a way that uh, when you're looking at it at a larger rearview mirror from two decades in the future, I think it, it looks like it'll be more positive uh, than negative at this point. Yeah, dare I say I have a little sympathy for him and the, the hand he's been dealt here because there's a huge global pandemic that that shut things down. We didn't know how the economies across the globe were going to react. Then there were these supply chain snarls. And right when the Fed seemed to be kind of getting things under control, Russia invades Ukraine. And that, and that threw a whole another spanner in the works in terms of energy prices and, and inflation. So it certainly hasn't been the easiest ride for our friend Jerome. Uh, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut him a little slack, but uh, we'll, we'll, only time will tell. And uh, I, I want to thank you very much for making time for me today, Marty. It was a pleasure as always. Robbie, appreciate being invited back. Look forward to talking again. Treasury yields climbed yesterday after stronger than expected ISM services PMI, a reading on the U.S. services industry, boosted speculation that the Fed will keep interest rates at current levels for longer. The August ISM reading not only marked an expansion in services sector activity, but an acceleration in the pace of expansion versus July. Prices also increased at a faster pace, casting doubt on benign inflation pricing. The Fed's beige book for August was released yesterday afternoon and described overall growth as modest, with stronger-than-expected spending on tourism, while retail spending slowed. Some consumers have exhausted their savings and began relying more on debt. Supply chain delays improved while housing inventory remained low. Job growth was subdued across the nation, with many businesses reporting ongoing difficulties hiring and retaining skilled workers, while price growth slowed from the previous report. As a reminder, the Fed's Beige Book is a survey of contacts throughout the private sector. Today's calendar is underway with weekly jobless claims, in at 216,000, down from 228,000, with 1.679 million continuing claims, a big drop, and final Q2 productivity and unit labor costs, in at 3.5% and 2.2%, respectively reflecting the downward revisions to real GDP published last week, 
which came in at 2.1% annualized in the second quarter, down from 2.4% in the advance estimate, and downward revisions to employment in the August jobs report. The August jobs report. Expect initial jobless claims to be volatile over the next few weeks due to the effects of Tropical Storm Hillary on the West Coast and Hurricane Idalia in the Southeast. Jobless claims historically fall around natural disasters, then spike afterwards as impacted workers file delayed claims for missed work. Later this morning brings the Treasury's announcement of the details of the mini-refunding, consisting of $44 billion of three-year notes, $35 billion of reopened 10-year notes, and $20 billion of reopened 30-year bonds. Freddie Mac's latest primary mortgage market survey and a laundry list of Fed speakers before the Federal Open Market Committee goes into its blackout period next week, ahead of the September 19th and 20th meeting. We begin the day with agency MBS prices, worse slightly than Wednesday evening, the 10-year yielding 4.30 after closing yesterday at 4.29%, and the two years at 5.03% with the continued strength in the labor market. Oh, and I want to thank you if you've made it listening this far as I'm riding around in the back of a taxi cab in Boston, so apologize for the noise. Let's wrap up with a joke and some housekeeping. Warning, this one's rated PG for language. The National Transportation Safety Board recently divulged they had funded a project with the U.S. automakers for the past five years. The NTSB covertly funded a project whereby the automakers were installing black boxes in four-wheel drive pickup trucks in an effort to determine, in serious accidents, the circumstances in the last 15 seconds before the crash. They were surprised to find in 49 of the 50 states, the last words of the drivers in 61.2% of crashes were, oh, shit. Only the state of Texas was different, where 89.3% of the final words were, Hey y'all, hold my beer and watch this. (laughs) Thanks again to Loan Care for sponsoring today's podcast. Loan Care has been successfully servicing mortgage loans through market change for 40 years. Its award-winning portfolio management tool, Loan Care Analytics, was built to support MSR investors with a focus on customer engagement, liquidity, and credit risk. It provides unprecedented visibility into risk and opportunity. Do you know what's in your portfolio? If you have any questions about the podcast or sponsoring opportunities, send me an email at Robbie at robchrisman.com. Visit robchrisman.com for more information on our industry partners, access to archived commentaries, and how to subscribe to the daily mortgage news and commentary. To listen to or download past episodes of this podcast, Search Mortgage News on any platform you get your podcast from.